0: Hi, everybody. I'm Matt. And I'm Steve. And this is Marble Reread Club. <music> Hi, Reddy. Welcome back.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hope everyone's summer is going a little bit less hectic than ours. But I mean, let's Who's kidding? Who? Right. Summer. <laughs> as you get older, summer becomes just much, much more hectic.
0: Mm-hmm. I began my vacation in Canada on Monday, August 14th. And today I received a jury duty summons for Monday, August 14th. Ah, <laughs> so, OK. You know, I figure like I'll be out of the country. Sounds better than, dude, I want to go on vacation then. No, I'm just going to be like, I'll be out of the country and yeah. not elaborate. Then say, I'm happy to serve on jury duty anytime after a week from that. But I will be out of the country. So uh, that is what I'm going to say. That is that's my story. And I'm sticking to it.
1: (laughs) Okay. well, we now have an actual explanation of what your scheme is here in public.
0: Well, it's true. So it's not a scheme.
1: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it's just that when you say that's my story and I'm sticking to it, it makes it sound like a scheme.
0: So when I'm speaking to them, you're saying, don't tell them that's my story and I'm sticking to it. That sounds bad.
1: Yes, that sounds <laughs> bad. Uh, and and don't give them the link to this episode either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, you,
0: you got to realize every week, millions of people listen to Marvel Rebic Club. The chances are pretty high that the people working at Cook County court offices are, are going to be listeners to Marvel Rebic Club.
1: Well, and it's- if they're not listeners, they'll definitely be talking about it around the water cooler.
0: <laughs> yes, we're water, pretty much water cooler.
1: <laughs> Meanwhile, my daughter, Alexa, has been very busy, and now she's about to leave for her pre-college program at Barnard, where she will be for three weeks, and we're going to be leaving tomorrow, middle of the day, to take her up there and very visit cool. a couple of uh, colleges along the way. I used to live uh,
0: next to Barnard, so I could uh, recommend uh, where we used to hang out.
1: All right. Um, I'm sure that I have been to many of those places because I would visit you. Yes. (laughs) Okay. So I I believe that is the requisite amount of banter, yes?
0: Yes. I think that we have (laughs) – Couldn't fool everyone into thinking that we're human beings. And now let's talk about some comics.
1: (laughs) Yeah. yeah, No, let's keep on going for 15 minutes about our personal lives. I think that's what people are here for. Okay, everybody, let's go and get
0: to the comics tonight. We are doing October 1965. Steve, I think you're starting us off.
1: I am. And uh, one thing I was calculating earlier today is because this is also the month that all the annuals come out, which we will talk about in a couple of episodes, uh, and hopefully have a great special guest. We are uh, trying to get that finalized. I went to figure out exactly what month this actually was. These would have hit the stands in July of 1965. So in the middle of summer break for kids in that year, what was going on in the Johnson administration at that point? You know, (laughs) I'm I'm currently reading King a Wife
0: by Jonathan Igg, which is excellent Uh and uh, covers quite a bit about what was going on with the Johnson administration in 1965 as he was doing excellent work on the war on poverty and civil rights and unfortunately getting increasingly mired in the Vietnam Quagmire, which was ruining his legacy, But at one point, uh, he's talking about Martin Luther King, and he's like going, and then Martin Luther King, occasionally he'll go like this, he said this, which came under criticism from President Johnson, and he did this, which was criticized by President Johnson, and says, and then he did this, which was criticized by President Truman. And I was like, yeah. wait, what? <laughs> and yes, Truman was still alive. <laughs> and... Truman, retired President Truman, was criticizing Martin Luther King at one point. And I'm like, that is just two things that I just cannot jive together. I cannot, <laughs> you know, because I know it's fascinating. Presidential trivia fact is how many presidents were alive when Nixon resigned?
1: Oh, wow. I, I don't how many.
0: None. Wow. <laughs> No ex-presidents saw Nixon resign because Johnson died shortly after he left office. Eisenhower died shortly after he left office. Kennedy was killed in office. And Truman had finally died by the time that Nixon resigned. So there wasn't a single ex-president left alive when Nixon resigned. But anyway, that's a trivia fact I love. But, (laughs) But especially knowing that, it was all the weirder to hear Truman criticizing Martin Luther King.
1: Yes. Well, uh, we'll see how much of that makes it into the episode here. (laughs) Okay. Yes, I'm starting out with Amazing Spider-Man this month. And whatever you do, wherever you go, never step on a scorpion. And we've got a uh, battle scene that is underwater here on the cover. I like this cover a lot.
0: Yeah. The camera is exactly at the water level. And so we see Spider-Man and the scorpion thrashing both above and below the water. And the colorist does a nice job of differentiating between above water and below the water. And I think it's a really beautiful cover.
1: Yeah, I I do not disagree. I mean, this is, this is a pretty great issue all around. Writing and editing by Stan Lee, plotting and drawing by Steve Ditko, lettering and loafing by Sam Rosen. But I do find it interesting that Stan Lee still calls what he does writing rather than scripting. You know, in later years, generally what he's doing here will be considered scripting rather than writing. But uh, I think that Stan Lee considered himself a writer and wanted to call himself such. Yes. So Pete's broke. He can barely afford new clothes, but you know he's still a growing boy, so he needs some. So he basically uh, wipes out his bank account. Uh, so we know that he's having more money problems here.
0: We see him getting money from the bank so that he can buy new clothes, but he is already wearing new clothes. And I think the whole point of this, you know, him needing to buy new clothes thing, is to be clear that he's about to go to college and he's not going to be wearing a suit and tie anymore. So this is the end of tie wearing Peter, I believe because okay. Dicko is realizing like, okay, he's about to go to college in 1965. He is not gonna be wearing a suit and tie all the time. So <laughs> even though he has supposedly not gone to clothes shopping yet, he is already wearing new clothes.
1: Yes. We then see that the scorpion successfully breaks out of prison. Apparently they let him have his costume with its tail back. I think they make some kind of mention about some uh, explanation for why. After they captured me, I outsmarted them by pretending to crack up. They returned my costume to me in order to calm me down.
0: Like, that's not how prison works. That's not how any of this works. (laughs)
1: No, it is not. So at the Bugle, we just see a little bit of some various little subplots getting touched on a little bit here. We see Foswell talking to J. Jonah Jameson about some sort of cat burglar.
0: Yeah, they're doing something interesting here where Dicko is really enjoying being solopodding and he's trying to – Adapt sort of more of a what would later be called a Hill Street Blues style of plotting here, where mm-hmm. he is seeding future storylines. So the Capricorn is going to be, I think, in the next issue, and he wants to go ahead and seed that storyline here. Uh, Brian Cornyn had an interesting article about how in the next issue he starts seeding the Master Planner storyline there, but Stanley didn't understand that in his scripting and. Mm-hmm said that, you know, the when Master Planner Cootens show up, he said that they were hired by the Capregor, because he did not understand that this was a separate storyline that Dicko was foreshadowing. Dicko and Lee weren't communicating much at this point, but Dicko is somehow correctly communicating to Lee that he should be foreshadowing the Capregor storyline, which is coming up next.
1: All right. Well, I mean, generally, you know, when in, in these days, they would have various notes in the margins explaining what this panel is and what's going on in it. So the scriptor would have something to go on. Uh, yeah, but that's interesting. There was a lack of communication there. So Pete sees Betty and he's like, oh, look, she's in a good mood. I haven't seen her in a good mood in a while. Let me go up and talk to her. And she's in a good mood because Ned Leeds is there. The police show up. And tell Jameson that the Scorpion has escaped. And and he has been talking nonstop about how much he wants to get back at Jameson. (laughs) And he's trying to keep up a brave face, but obviously is just scared as all get out. Pete is kind of a jerk to Betty.
0: I think it's interesting that he hasn't seen Betty happy in a long time, and now she's happy only because Ned is back. Like, these two do not belong together. Like, this no. is – she has found the love of her life. It is not Pete. We can see this, and I think Dicko can see this, and Lee can see this, but Pete cannot. And it's sort of touching That's I really like this writing of Dicko and lee you know co-writing this book which is hard for them to do but they're doing a good job co-writing the book and making it clear that you know peter isn't making her happy anymore and he can't really admit that yet
1: yeah uh well i need and you know i mean pete is like what 17 18 (laughs) uh you know you're you're not going to have that much emotional intelligence at that point so spider-man now knowing that Scorpion is loose, decides to try and draw Scorpion out. And so he just ends up swinging around the same area of New York City, hoping that the word will get out that this is where Spider-Man is. And then so Scorpion will come and attack him. Well, Scorpion instead is like, oh, look, Spider-Man's over there acting the fool for no good reason. That means that the coast is clear for me to go and cause other mayhem elsewhere. So it backfires spectacularly. But did we see in the previous appearance of the Scorpion that he can climb walls? Yes, that was we in did. the previous appearance, but okay. uh, but now he's doing something new where he's coiling cl- up his tail like a yes.
0: spring to to spring himself from building to building. That is new. Yes. Not even remotely Scorpion-like.
1: No, no, not (laughs) at all. But the Scorpion does show up in the Bugle offices, and we we start to get the Scorpion just wrecking the place, just absolutely destroying the offices, everybody running in a panic. Jameson is particularly just cowardly. I mean, I don't know. I would definitely be cowardly in this situation, so cowardly in and of itself isn't necessarily a big thing, but he just looks really, really, really frightened, which is going to be in great contrast to what he is later going to portray himself as. So right as Scorpion gets Jameson cornered, Spider-Man swings in the window and attacks the Scorpion. Bottom two thirds of page 10, I love this sequence. So, uh, on those four panels, the battle with the scorpion is all happening off panel. And uh, so, in panel three on the page, Spider Man gets thrown into the panel where Ned is protecting and comforting Betty. And, you know, Ned's like, You've got to stop him. Spider Man's like, Dude, what are you? Okay, just. uh." Anyway, so he runs back out to attack the scorpion again. And then uh, on the last panel of the page, we see him once again, just getting flung back against the wall right near uh, Ned and Betty. And uh, Ned Ned says, I told you to watch out for his tail and (laughs) there's an upside down speech balloon for spider-man saying ah shut up so (laughs) the letters are all actually upside down uh and it's just that's just so much fun
0: this is one of the all-time great marvel panels (laughs) him saying i told you to watch over (laughs) his tail and ah shut up dicko at the height of his powers and lee ably scripting what dicko is plotting and drawing
1: so uh page 11 just has more just awesome fight scenes and uh fantastic images of jonah just running scared and cowering third panel on the page <laughs> uh jameson is cowering in the corner right in the f- extreme foreground right where we are and uh he's saying hit him again harder harder it's like oh yeah look who's a. Uh, spider-man fan now but then also spider-man is saying to scorpion this is for frightening betty brant you think i'm like "Fink," that that is an insult that has gone away it's yes. <laughs> no longer you remember you remember wizard of id and yes. the king is a fink. Yes. um there will be something else in fantastic four well i will once again make a wizard of id reference believe it or not <laughs> All right. finally the cops show up and scorpion crawls out the window and spider-man crawls after him immediately jameson starts acting like a tough guy it's like come back you cowards i'm not finished with you yet you're yellow both of you yeah jameson just being yeah, <laughs> terrible and uh, you know i think i've mentioned before that uh one most likely apocryphal story is that when ditko was plotting these issues at this point uh he was really picturing Stan Lee while he was doing Jameson's bit. And then Stan Lee was really thinking of his cousin-in-law and publisher, Martin Goodman, when he was scripting Jameson. So uh, I don't know if either or both of those might be true or false, but I really like thinking about that when I see when I see this sequence. <laughs> so anyway, the battle uh, between Spidey and Scorpion continues out on the rooftops, including on a water tower, as you always love uh, Ditko's water towers. I do. You know, I, I generally tend not to like it when Spider-Man creates objects with his webs this one i can kind of get you know it's like okay it's simple enough that i can deal with that he makes bolas like the two like balls that you throw around and you throw forward and it'll wrap people's legs up or whatever so he creates those out of his webbing and is able to tangle up the scorpion
0: so once again with dicko potting the book we've got not doing the incredibly lame thing they were doing for so long of having the hero and villain fight for five pages and then break up the fight for five pages and then fight again five pages later which was always just the most awkwardly potted element of spider-man especially more than any other book dicko has now finally gotten tired of this and he has stopped doing it i think this is three issues in a row in which the fight is just one big ass fight that goes from page five to fifteen basically And here it's broken up by cutting away to Jameson. But for Spider-Man, the fight has been continuous. And I think that is so much better plotted than what we were getting before. And it's really nice. And also, let's just take a moment to talk about just what a brilliantly conceived character Spider-Man is. In that he has a really, really cool weapon that disables villains. He can web up and gum up villains and fling them around. And it is a wonderfully nonviolent thing that you can have this very cool, awesome looking power that also takes care of the villains instead of having to just knock them out all the time or kill them or do anything like that. I just, I just love watching Spider-Man tie up the villains and fling them around and drag them off to jail. And uh, it's something that no other hero really has, you know, Thor can't do this.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, page 16, the last panel on that page as they fly out over the water past the docks is just a beautiful panel. I love yeah. I, uh, and not just I mean, the docks, the little bit of water, even sort of very minimalistic showing of the water out there. But then also Spider-Man's anatomy, his position, his figure drawing there, um, all just really fantastically well done. Dicko of docks. Ditko loves docks and Ditko loves water. So now we are going into the water. And this is what we saw on the cover. We get basically that cover image in the third panel on page 17. So then Spider-Man is able to keep Scorpion underwater because Spider-Man has bigger lung capacity until Scorpion passes out, at which point he pulls him out of the water. Now, I would think that if you pass out because you're underwater that long – aren't you basically drowned? I mean, won't you have to go and actually get the water out of your lungs at that point or else you'll drown? It just seems a bit much. Anyway.
0: This happens uh, in um, movies. Like in, I rewatched the Mission Impossible movies in preparation for the new Mission Impossible movie, which I saw and loved. At one point, Tom Cruise is underwater and passes out from being unable to breathe underwater and then the the other hero has time to go and find him and rescue him and bring him out and it's like well wait if he has been you know unconscious and not intentionally holding his breath underwater for about a minute now isn't he just dead but then she's able to revive him of course with shock paddles which are <laughs> the all all purpose reviving tool in fiction but yeah. uh I was I was the same way there I'm like if you're underwater and you're unconscious then aren't you dead but I don't know.
1: (laughs) Well, or at least you're going to have to like, the, the main thing you're going to have to do is get the water out of the lungs as soon as you yeah. get them out of out of the water. Spider-Man gets away. He's then having to wring out his suit up on the rooftop that he presumably ditched his day clothes in. He then comes back by the, the bugle and sees Jameson proudly showing off the newspaper where the headline is Jonah Jameson proved himself to be as brave as he is handsome. Pete says, who wrote that about you? as I did. I don't believe in false modesty. And Pete thinks, or any other kind. Which does very much feel like how Ditko might have felt about Lee at this right. point. <laughs> Overall, I really, really like this issue. Yes. The 10 page long or whatever it is, fight scene in the middle of the issue is just spectacularly well done, both in terms of the action and the various characterization they're able to get in there and how they're able to advance some of these, you know, advance and or seed as the word you use, some of these subplots that are going on. And, you know, just to get a lot of the emotional complexity that's in here, too. I mean, this really is just a fantastic comic. I agree. I think
0: this is a fantastic issue. It is the fight scene is just gorgeous and funny and exciting and their powers are just really unique and different and how they fight this is very different from you know we're about to get another big epic fight scene from Jack Kirby in doing Thor way between the Thor and Absorbing Man and this fight just could not be more different in terms of these are two just very different people who fight very differently. They're not big bruisers who are wailing on each other it's good to have a good bugle fight. We have not had a good bugle fight in a while. And I always love it when the bugle gets busted up and uh <laughs> poor Betty takes it a little harder than she usually takes it. Can't get out of bed after the stress of it. But this is just this is just a gorgeous issue. And uh Tico is just at the height of his powers, both as potter and artist. It's beautifully plotted, it's beautifully drawn, it's a beautiful book. It will be such a shame to lose Tico as we will within in another,
1: oh, let's say ten issues. Year? roughly a year from now
0: yes so let's go ahead and do one of the most contentious comic books in marvel history here (laughs) comes daredevil the man without fear number 10 the strangest foes daredevil has ever faced so you know this is not something that i really knew as a student of marvel history it's just something that i noticed over the course of us doing this podcast is that when lee would not take a writing credit when he would say someone else wrote this book he would often have a little note on the splash page and or on the letters page saying, by the way, this issue sucks. Enjoy it. <laughs> and this has been something he's been doing. Well, this reaches its apotheosis here. So Wally Wood, like Steve Dicko, has been saying I should get potting credit on these books. But Wally Wood, instead of doing what Steve Dicko did and said, just say it was potted and penciled by me and that it was written, by which he you mean scripted, by you. But no, Wallywood says, I want writing credit. And Stanley says, well, you want to like write it? You know, do you want to like pot and script it? And Hollywood said, yes, I want to go ahead and start potting and scripting and penciling Daredevil. And Stanley is like, OK. And then Stanley gets the issue and hates it. And indeed, it is not a great issue. But Stanley, you don't have to be such a dick about it, letting everybody know that you think so. So, you know, so we have the cover where the Animan, Birdman, Catman, Gorilla Man and Man are on a rooftop and Daredevil is facing them. They are not beautiful character designs. They look kind of lame. But then we go to the opening page, which is just a sort of symbolic splash page of the organizer and his four Animan and Daredevil shadow. But it says there is a big note here on the first page saying two great surprises await you in this offbeat issue one this is daredevil's first real mystery thriller complete with a zillion suspects countless clues and perplexing plot twists two wally wood has always wanted to try his hand at writing a story as well as drawing it and in fact feels he has been the writer on this book for the last eight issues but okay yes and big-hearted stan who wanted to rest anyway said okay so what follows next is anybody's guess you may like it or not but you can be sure of this: it's gonna be different. So then, <laughs> Artie, he's like, like, "Uh, guys, I cannot sign off on the quality of this story." And seemingly, Wallywood was getting the book lettered without Stan seeing it either. So, but I've, oddly enough, he does not get penciling credit. It says, "Exquisite editing by Stanley, lustrous layouts by Bob Powell, who gets layout credit this time, stunning script and art by Wally Wood." Lots of lettering by Artie Simek. Now, last issue, Wood got layout credit, Powell got penciling credit, and Wood got inking credit. This time, Powell gets layout credit, Wood gets script and art credit. But I still think the art is pretty good. It still feels like a yeah. Hollywood issue. This feels more like a Hollywood issue than a Bob Powell issue. And obviously, Wood is plotting it. So i do not sure you know, how this is working in terms of the marble method if Wood is plotting it and scripting it and Powell is doing layouts. But then... Things get more and more contentious, as is often the case when someone else writes the book. Stan Lee will sometimes insult it on the splash page, as he does here. He will frequently then insult it on the letters page. So let's go ahead and jump to the letters page.
1: Where, uh, I don't have the letters page in the uh, in the Marvel Unlimited one, so you have to enlighten me. At the end of the story,
0: uh, at the top of the letters page, this is presumably Stan saying, well, if you've ever seen a more complicated, mixed-up, mad camp mystery yarn than this one, you've got us beat by a mile. And now here's the payoff. Wonderful Wally decided he doesn't have the time to write the conclusion next issue, and he's (laughs) forgotten most of the answers we'll be needing. So sorrowful Stan has inherited the job of tying the whole yarn together and finding a way to make it all come out in the wash, and you think you've got trouble. Anyway, let's take a breather as we meander through our merry marble mailbag. But then Stan was still not done insulting the issue because... (laughs) Then cut to the letters page discussing this issue a couple of issues later, when Stan says about this issue, glad you liked Wally's story, but we'll let you in on a little secret. Stan, the man, couldn't keep his hands off the script. And when our leader got through editing it, about the only thing left that Wally himself had written was his name. So Stan then further disparages the book after telling us how terrible the issue was. He says, by the way, I actually completely rewrote Wally's work and it didn't
1: include any of his scripting. And this this is the issue that's talking about, not the the following issue? Talking about
0: this issue. So so this is the ultimate Stan Dickery. This is the ultimate Stan going like, yeah, that guy wrote a book and it sucked. And he just keeps saying that. So then Brian Cronin is probably the greatest historian of Marvel Comics. However, he is someone who is extremely anti-Lee and he will go off the deep end sometimes with his anti-Lee vitriol. But he – did a story about this comic in which he collected these various things, but ended up defending Lee to a certain extent because he found the original art for this book. Apparently, Wood had already Simonic lettered it before Stan saw it. And then Stan apparently really did hate what he read because Stan had white out, not most, but a ton of the dialogue and had it re-lettered. So you can see a ton of whiteout on every page where Stan really does seem to have been re-scripting the book based on the whiteout. So this is all to say that this is perhaps the most contentious Marvel comic in Marvel Comics history. This is the ultimate apotheosis of the theme we have been discovering over the course of this podcast of Stan Stan denigrating books that he does not get running credit on. And this is the ultimate one. So so Wally does return to the next issue just to ink it and does not script or write the next issue. And then Wally is gone. He is gone from Marvel. He is off to Tower Comics, where he is both the writer getting actual writing credit and the scripter and the penciler and the inker for Thunder Agents, which is a good book that he does a good job with on his own. But let's go ahead and look at his only Marvel writing credit here and see if we agree with Stan's great denigration of it. So while the city sleeps, they call him the organizer, and he was the most mysterious menace ever to challenge the power of Daredevil. The story begins in jail when a helicopter comes up to jail to do a jailbreak. Catman gets out of the helicopter and rescues a guy named Monk Keeper, who is a gorilla-looking human, takes him away in the helicopter. Then we see someone is watching a news story about this, and he is a very frog-like looking dude named Frog LeBanc. His TV is taken over by the organizer of this man in a hood, and he is told to report. Then we get these four villains who are now all there. They're told to put on animal costumes, and they're going to be the Animan. They will be Catman, Apeman, Birdman, and Frogman. They are all going to work for the organizer. He sends them out to commit various crimes. We then cut to... Matt, who is with Foggy and Karen at the office, when Foggy comes in, he's very happy. He has been nominated to be the DA candidate, the district attorney candidate for the Reform Party, a new third party that sounds very much like some of the third parties that are dominating the news here in 2023, where it is a bunch of rich businessmen who have decided to take on the power structure and finally give rich businessmen a voice. Now, the big problem with this story in terms of Wood's plotting is that I think it's to his credit. And as Stan points out, like, hey, it's our first attempt to do a real murder mystery here. And, you know, and Stan's like, that's interesting. We haven't done that before. And indeed, it is interesting. And indeed, it is, it is an interesting thing to do with this book. But Wood just is not a good murder mystery plotter because then we meet all of the suspects in this mystery when Matt and Karen and Foggy all go to this boat to where they're going to play around with these rich businessmen, and we meet a bunch of rich businessmen, one after another, but they're all sort of rich, fat cat, cigar-smoking businessmen, and you can tell these are all our various suspects for whom the organizer is going to turn out to be, but who cares? They're all basically the same dude. You know, we're not keeping track of which one's which or which one might be the organizer and which one might not be. It's just sort of interesting. Now, one of them introduces Fonky to an old flame of his who is on the ship. Would of course, always likes drawing attractive women. And this is Deborah Harris. She is an attractive woman. Matt realizes that Frogman is attacking the boat. He dives in the water, turns into Daredevil, fights Frogman, then has to slip back on the boat. We then get to the next day. Frogman goes back to their headquarters, so we have – you and I are always both big fans of cutaway views of uh, Mm -hmm. the headquarters. We have the organizers' headquarters, which is cool, and we see the cutaway view.
1: Now, now let me point something out about that cutaway view. What is wrong with the helicopter hangar? There is no door. It's in the middle of the building. (laughs) Yes. It would be very, (laughs) very hard. It is midway between the top and the bottom of the building, not like right underneath the roof, like there may be a helipad that can lower down, not like there's a big hole where you could fly right into it. It's just like, nope. it looks like it's about just as tall as all the other floors. And there is a little helicopter inside of it. Uh, Yes, which I found quite amusing.
0: Yes, it's funny. So and one thing we haven't talked about is that his name is the organizer and he reads a group called the organization (laughs) it is the organization and i am the organizer and that's just also poor writing like that just is if you've got a group called the organization you can't have the leader be called the organizer it feels repetitive but oh well so then matt sees birdman robbing the cash from the reform party and has to stop him and manages to stop him gets the money back and is trying to figure out what the connection here is between the nmn and the reform party Foggy is falling for Deborah Harris. Karen, at one point, realizes she's jealous and says, do I actually have feelings for Foggy? Which clearly she has never even considered before. <laughs> this is not like a pepper and happy situation where she's been sort of torn between them.
1: Although Foggy has considered proposing to her before now yes. <laughs> at various points. So, yeah, he's, he's a little dense.
0: This is just a tremendous amount of plot in this issue, as we'll see with the Avengers, which we're going to be discussing in the next episode. I don't need to sum it all up. Daredevil is, uh, is told that somebody is suffocating inside a spank safe, opens the safe. It turns out this is all a trap to get him to be accused of robbing the safe, which works, and so now he's on the run from the law. Then Daredevil is still trying to figure out what the hell the Animen have to do with the Reform Party it is at a Reform Party swanky fundraiser when he sees the Animan attack again, and they, in fact... Kidnap Deborah and fly off with her. And Daredevil eventually makes it to the organizer's uh, sort of apartment to try to rescue her when he overhears that she is in on this with them. She's saying, Ha, now that fool Nelson will do anything the boss wants. And he's saying, Deborah, she isn't a prisoner. This abduction was a fake. Now I know why she made a play for Foggy, but he's fallen for her hard. How do I tell him the truth? How many hard knocks can the poor fellow take? And then he doesn't realize that Birdman is swooping up on him. And that is the end of the issue. And uh, I forgot one more place, Stan knocks Wally. I missed this one before. Now that Wally has got the writing out of his system, he left it for poor Stan to finish next issue. Can our leader do it? That's the real mystery. But while you're waiting to see if you can find the clue planted, showing who the organizer is, it'll all come out in the wash next issue when Stan wraps it up. See you then. So, uh, uh, I, I missed yet one more place in which this is a contentious issue. So, this is maybe Stan Lee's all time least favorite Marvel comic. And um, <laughs> indeed, not a great comic. The art is shockingly fine for Pal having done the layouts. It looks like Wallywood art. I enjoy the art on this issue. I always like it when love triangles become love quadrangles. But this is a pretty
1: terrible issue. I don't know if I'd quite say terrible. Uh, I mean, I, li- I like I so many of the visuals in it that I don't think I'm going to go quite that far. I mean, yes, the Anna men are pretty ugly. And when handled by other people, certainly years later, they always just kind of gave me the creeps. But I really like some of his character designs for his exaggerated character designs for like Frog Blanc. you know, just having them look like the animals they're going to be, which is, you know, silly, but it's a great storytelling thing, you know, a great yeah. uh, visual medium uh, thing to do.
0: Yeah, I so, agree. I, I re- yeah, I agree. I really like the, the the creepy ways they look before they ever put on their costumes. It's uh, yes. that's that's fun storytelling.
1: So on the yacht party, well, first of all, Foggy apparently is uh, dressed up as the Sandman. It looks like <laughs> he's wearing a green and black horizontal striped shirt, but he's introducing Matt to some of these folks, and and Matt is thinking they're all prominent, wealthy men. Why do I sense danger? <laughs> as though. There's no – there could not possibly be any danger from prominent wealthy men. (laughs) I mean, come on. When he falls off the yacht to go fight Frogman and jumps into the water – and this is common in – comics throughout the years but i just find it interesting how he jumps in the water and you see his you know tuxedo shirt just floating off in the water behind him and he already immediately has his gloves on and his mask on (laughs) it's like he just dove in and suddenly it's
0: all there and then when he's done with his underwater fight he says in the confusion they haven't missed me now to slip back aboard and mingle like without your shirt aren't people gonna think it's a little weird that you don't have a shirt on
1: well, yeah, yeah. I mean, I wait, did he not even like say, oh, I fell over? I fell off the, the edge? I guess maybe not. Yeah, no, that- <laughs> I guess I was just assuming that it's uh, that they were like, oh, yeah, well, uh, he fell under the water, but he's safe now. Uh, <laughs> a couple more things uh, at the penthouse party that they have later. There is a panel where in the very foreground there is clearly that same borough president candidate in a tuxedo in the very foreground walking up to a pretty lady and he has serious Harvey Weinstein vibes going on yeah. it is just just <laughs> like, uh horrible and yeah as you pointed out uh when catman is being uh interrogated by the police he says well i'll tell you what i know i'm a member of a gang called the organization the head man is called the organizer. It's just like we meet in the building. We, <laughs> we have plans. We, you know, it's like, just put some effort into this. Seriously. Anyway. Uh, yeah. This is uh this is, this is an interesting issue. <laughs> yeah. It's just a
0: shame, but uh, I do like federations. I do feel like Wood could write. I like Canon. His, uh comic strip that he did for a long time i like a lot of his work careful was just never a great fit for wood wood should be doing submariner and uh, if wood was writing and penciling and inking submariner that would be just 10 pages a month and i would be in hog heaven but uh he was on daredevil it was never the best fit he is got one more issue left and then he is gone
1: Yeah, and I've never really liked the Submariner solo feature, and uh, yeah, if they'd had wood on it, possibly both writing and drawing it, that might have been quite a different story. Yes. So, we're going to move on to Fantastic Four. Lo, there shall be an ending. So, this is the end of the epic Fantastic Four Frightful Four multi-issue battle.
0: Yes, which has gone on for way too long, (laughs) and it is... Very good. Very happy to pick up this issue and see lo there shall be an ending. I guess you are you are giving the public what they want. This is it is time to wrap this up.
1: Uh, you, you and I are not entirely on the same page with that. I really have enjoyed this epic battle between these two teams. I, I do not feel that it has overstayed its welcome in my in my personal opinion. You do. That's fine. That's fair. But uh, so. When last we left off, the Frightful Four had brainwashed both Thing and Johnny. Supposedly. Uh, I'm getting to that in a minute. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) So they're both being used to attack the Fantastic Four or the only two left of the Fantastic Four. Reed had been able to slap some of the wizard's anti-grav discs on the Frightful Four and on Ben. So now Reed is dragging the floating Ben along as they make an escape from the Frightful Four who are trying to reorganize themselves, and as Johnny seems not to be able to hit them with his flame. They're going to take off in Johnny's sports car. Sue says, quick, darling, hop in Johnny's car. His flame won't hurt us. Reed's like, how can you be so sure, Sue? I wonder if the wizard's id machine weakened his powers. I've never seen him so clumsy before. And I will point out wizard's id is what made me think of wizard of id. Oh, that's true.
0: So the wizard is here saying, Torch, lower your flame, you juvenile incompetent. Instead of stopping them, you're blazing an escape route they can follow. And Johnny's like, can't help it. Try not to hit the thing. Yes. Johnny, is, Johnny is being a pretty good mole here. He's being a pretty good yes. uh, undercover man.
1: Which we find out here when Sue explains that Johnny won't hurt them because she actually deactivated the machine. And so Johnny is just faking it right now. The machine w- couldn't have done have uh, brainwashed him. Uh, so once again, Sue being indispensable to the team here. And uh, this is not the last time that will happen in this issue. I always enjoy that. At this point, the wizard goes and tries to get the anti-grav discs off the rest of his team. Meanwhile, Reed and Sue have gotten the thing back to the Baxter building. And even though the thing is still floating around with anti-gravity, uh, he's still you know, causing a lot of havoc and damage as they bring him up to their floors on the Baxter building. Reed spins him around to give him some vertigo so he can't really be very effective with that. The spinning effect on the bottom of page four is... Um the inking of those speed lines is uh what what, what <laughs> word would you use for that, Matt? Crappy. Uh yeah, I think not good. Let me put it this way. If I if I had been given these pages and this is what I had done with that, I would have been like, well, time to put down a patch and completely <laughs> redraw that. Because I botched it but nope there we are that's what we get so uh, (laughs) anyway, the frightful four are trying to figure out what to do next Medusa and wizard are definitely suspecting that Johnny is just faking it and is working against them they have gone into this other room to go ahead and work this out between themselves and left Pete and uh, Sandman out there to occupy Johnny and just sort of stall for time so at that point, when they finally come out, they're like, oh, no, everything's good. Come on, let's uh do whatever. Whammo! Medusa uses Peace's Paste Gun with her hair to paste up Johnny. And then Trapster apparently has a little dynamite charge that he uses to snuff out Johnny's flame.
0: Yeah, it looks uh, pretty badass. It mean, yeah. looks like having a little bullet made of dynamite sticks is uh, like, I would not want to get hit with that. That, that looks a little scary.
1: Yeah, it's like hey Pete, um just forget the paste. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is uh you've got some other good stuff here it looks like. Uh but he specifies that this is like how they keep dynamite on oil rigs because uh the shockwave from the dynamite explosion can actually blow out fires that are going on. So he does this. Meanwhile, Reed is tinkering to come up with his brain machine to work on Ben.
0: So on page 9, We've got Kirby, a sort of key step in the development of Jack Kirby here. It's funny. There's certain steps we have not gotten in the development of Jack Kirby. It is absolutely shocking that we have been of Fantastic Four 43, and
1: Kirby Crackle has not appeared yet. Yeah. Kirby Crackle, I think it, it first appears sometime during the Silver Surfer Galactus storyline.
0: It is really insane that Kirby Crackle has not been invented yet still here in 1965. Yeah. But the drawing of Reed, the third panel on page nine, mm-hmm. I associate this with Sinnoth. Yes. But this sort of extreme foreground, heavily shadowed face is very much like Kirby in the 70s. And it is a very nice effect that Sinnott will do especially well. But it's clearly Kirby is doing it heavily in the pencils, if it is even making it through the Coletta machine intact to us. Um, <laughs> and Coletta actually busted out a brush for once to these heavily spotted blacks on his face. I really like reed's face there and i feel like it's sort of predicting where kirby's heart is going to go in a good way okay
1: reed then says get my space suit he's like wait what this is he's still bathed in deadly cosmic waves that's why i need the protection of this suit but they're fading quickly so follow behind me (laughs) it's just like wait i What? No suit
0: for you, it's (laughs)
1: No, Yeah, no suits are for men. They put Ben in bed and they do not know if he's alive or dead. His skin is too thick to know whether he's got a faint heartbeat. Uh, And so they just have to wait and see if he wakes up. We then, once again, with the sort of Hill Street Blues style writing, as you have talked about earlier, we get a little bit of that here as we see In the Latverian embassy in New York, Dr. Doom has a doctor who's trying to heal his hands, which we last saw being crushed by the thing right before he defected to the Frightful Four. Uh, His hands are nearly healed, but not quite there yet.
0: But I shall soon have my revenge. As soon as my hands are healed, I'll be able to operate my emotion change array the one thing that can destroy my accursed enemies. And it says... And as Dr. Doom wonders, we want you to know that he does use his eerie emotion changer machine in the great Fantastic Four annual, now on sale, Unabashed Advertisement, Stan. So, yeah, this is this is maybe this is actually coming from Stan because this is multiple comics where we've got, hmm, here's a little preview of next month's storyline.
1: Or it could be Stan saw that, saw those pages from Ditko and is like, hey, that's a nice idea. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? All right. So then the Frightful Four show up at the Baxter building. On page 13, I really love that first panel where the Frightful Four is running down a corridor to get to the Fantastic Four. Uh, Wizard is flying. Uh, Sandman and Trapster are running. And Medusa is is essentially swinging along a pipe by her hair so it looks like she's sort of doing a tarzan but using her hair from these pipes up on the uh, ceiling which I, i just really really like how that looks Oh, yeah, it looks great. Uh, Reed and Sue are starting to figure out that Ben is alive, but that they don't yet know whether the brain change has happened. Um, And you were saying about Coletta actually busting out a brush. He often busts out a brush, but he just sort of uses it so quickly and just doesn't meld it with the scratchy pen lines much at all. And you can see that on the third panel on page 13 with Sue The contour line of the hair at her temple right there is just suddenly this huge, thick, cursive line. And, like, everything else is this uniform-looking, scratchy stuff uh, elsewhere. And, I mean, you know, that's a technique that people do use to great effect. That's not what happened here. (laughs) He has uh,
0: no idea what he's doing.
1: Yeah. So the uh, well, I don't think he has no idea. He just doesn't really care right now. Right. He's just wanting to get the job done. So the Frightful Four break in and they let Reed and Sue know that they have Johnny captured and he is on a giant anti-grav disc. And apparently, for some reason, that means that he can't flame on. They never really explain that, but it's no. like, why isn't he flaming on? I don't get it. And we have a really sort of ugly-looking panel of Reed stretching his hand out to try to grab Johnny, and it, once again, it just looks all scribbly. Right? It's like I could see that working in like some kind of independent San Francisco, you know, seventies comics it, or
0: yeah. It's <laughs> not the worst thing tanned if it was a completely different style. It
1: kind of looks like my favorite right. thing is mom okay i'm not sure i'm not familiar with that one yeah but uh but yeah it's <laughs> it's like in a different context that might turn out nice but yeah. in this context it's just like what is going on so johnny is being sent up to the stratosphere well he will suffocate and in order to uh not do this uh, the Frightful Four is demanding that Reed and Sue be brainwashed as well.
0: But I mean, Wizard had found it before his head machine was broken. Presumably, he's fixed it at this point, or uh...
1: y- yeah, it wasn't actually broken. I think she just said that she like defused it or something like that. Okay. So I think it sounded like it was just something like, "Oh, I need to plug this thing back in," or you know, "I need to replace this fuse." Uh, it didn't sound like she had really uh, destroyed it in any way. Okay. So anyway, <laughs> Reed says, "Okay." We'll talk. You've defeated us. But first, bring the torch back down to the window so we can see him. And then we'll deal. Pacepot Pete is actually the smart one in this case. He's saying, don't trust him, Wiz. He's trying to stall for time. And <laughs> Reed is actually like, the trapster is right. So Pacepot uh, Pete, actually the smart one in this case. But Wizard goes in and brings him down. Like, okay, there he is outside the window. You know, So we now know he's not at the stratosphere. Ben then wakes up Wizard has no idea that he's been deprogrammed, so he comes over to Ben, and Ben grabs him and crushes his uh, chest anti-grav disc. But then oddly just disappears again from the next few panels. Uh, and Stan has something where it's like, suddenly the thing falls back into another coma, but he has provided just the diversion that a fighting man is swiftly striking Reed Richards needs. So I'm not sure whether that was actually, you know, Jack's intent or whether he just was like, there's too much going on. I'm not going to draw <laughs> whatever is going on back there.
0: So we haven't got a big battle, really terrible looking panel on the top of page 17. There's just too many lines on this page. And the, explosion blast where reed is punching um the trapster is interfering with everything else around it it's also not well colored you can't tell what reed's doing with his hands the wizard is
1: um just a big scratchy mess terrible panel do you really think that that's more poorly inked than panel two on this page okay panel two is worse (laughs) uh... (laughs) so panel two is where johnny shows back up all flaming on uh he was able to escape the disc when uh the wizard's master control disc was destroyed uh yeah but just this the scratchy lines that are supposed to indicate the the flaming thing are just i mean they really are just like some sixth grader just went home and was trying to copy a page from a comic book using a ballpoint pen (laughs) it's just it's uh it's it's not good so uh anyway johnny comes in he is fighting on the side of good they are able to wrap up the frightful for except for medusa who's able to swing out of the window and essentially crawl up the building with her hair johnny goes out to catch her but then he hesitates and she gets away and he thinks was it because i didn't want to fight a girl or was it something more i don't know whether to be something more would be not only do i not want to fight a girl but i've got a funny feeling in my bathing suit area or (laughs) if it's, or if there's something else that's supposed to be uh, implied there. I I am not sure. So Johnny comes back. He has to admit he didn't get Medusa. Reed is like, ah, okay, don't get riled. I think I understand. She is an extremely attractive female. (laughs) Johnny's like, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. Uh, So Reed then calls the police to come and get the frightful four, but the police think it's a crank call. They just don't believe that this is actually Reed Richards. So, so much for that relationship with the police commissioner that was being developed in the early issues. Yes,
0: that seems like a long time ago at this point.
1: Yes, yes, it does. So uh, Johnny has to personally escort the Frightful Four to uh, prison. And then Thing, Thing is saying, what's the matter with you two anyway? Ain't you got sense enough to hate me for what I've done? And Reed's like, of course not, old friend. You couldn't help yourself. It was that id machine. And they're trying to show as much love to him as they can and reminding him that he is best man at their wedding. And he's like, oh, that's right. I almost forgot. You're getting married. And then he thinks, and maybe someday you two will come to my wedding. Maybe I won't have to remain a a thing forever. Maybe. Which is just, once again, he had turned back into Ben And Reed is the one who turned him back into the rocky orange monster. And that set off this whole three issue storyline here. Yeah. It's like, okay, well these people clearly love me and they're trying to do what they can to do right by me. But at the same time, this is absolutely his fault that, you know, I'm watching you two be happily, happily about to get married. And it's your fault that I'm never going to be able to have this
0: yeah, this is a perfectly fine issue. It's a nice big battle. I really, my favorite element of the issue is Johnny undercover pretending he's been it-machined when he really hasn't been, and the little clues they give us of that, and then the payoff and the fact that he's two steps ahead of the villains, but then the villains get two steps ahead of him, and they, she snakes the trapster paste gun and hits him with the paste. I always enjoy that sort of back and forth in a book where the heroes and villains are each trying to get ahead of each other. And I think that This has been a fun epic. I don't know if these, you know, because essentially this is this has been a five issue story because we had we had they fought the frightful four for an issue and then they had an issue off and then they fought them for another issue and then they had two issues off and then they fought them for three issues. So I don't know if they deserved a five issue storyline, but Kirby and Lee did a good job of it if once they decided to do it.
1: Oh, and uh, just looking at my notes, one thing that I almost forgot was on page 13, that same page from Medusa is swinging on the pipes with her hair. Reed is saying, you know, oh, I've got to battle them single-handed. And, <laughs> and Sue is like, not single-handed, my darling. I'm by your side. <laughs> oh, Reed, get your head out of your butt.
0: Yes, Okay, everyone, let's do Journey Into Mystery with The Mighty Thor, number 121. Soon this book will just change its name to Thor with issue 125, but we still have Journey Into Mystery on the cover. We go inside, it says The Mighty Thor, the power, the passion, the pride. Yo, I'm not going to take very long to summarize this issue because not much happens in this issue. It's basically just one huge knockdown dragout fight between The Absorbing Man and Thor. Another towering triumph for Stanley writer, Another fabulous feat for Jack Kirby Illustrator. Another amazing achievement for Vince Coletta Delineator. Another day, another dollar for Artie Simon Clutterer. And uh, so we see Absorbing Man still waving around his wrecking ball. He is in brick form as he is throwing it at Thor. He grabs Thor's hammer, which looks like he can pick up, which I guess is the idea that when he turns into Uru, he also gains the ability to lift Thor's hammer. I guess so. That shouldn't be. No, uh, it it really shouldn't. He can even throw it then. I don't know if this has ever been explained later, why he was uh, seemingly (laughs) worthy. um, Or if there's just some sort of exception made when you turn into Uru, then you gain the ability to pick up the hammer. Who knows? But they keep fighting. Meanwhile, Loki, who is still supposedly working for Ularik the Warlock, has now actually buried him underneath his own lab and is running the show. So once again, Loki has set up this fight. He has sicked Absorbing Man on Thor, and then he's watching the whole thing from afar, hoping that Absorbing Man defeats Thor. This is very similar to the previous storyline where he sicked the Destroyer on Thor. Then he was like, oh, crap, the Destroyer might win. I have to do everything in my power to help Thor. This time he's not doing that. So seemingly, I guess because he doesn't think the Absorbing Man will win, like if he thought the Absorbing Man was actually going to kill Thor, (laughs) he would be thinking better of the whole plan again but he's not because he doesn't this is all a little unclear what's the difference between the last story or,
1: or maybe he's already been in essentially placed in servitude to, you know and so he's like what else can they do to me i don't know yeah it's uh it's interesting
0: so then balder stops by and loki has to get him out of there And Balrog's like, aren't you supposed to be serving Loric? Like, uh, he is off on an errand for Odin. I've been ordered to remain here and replenish his sorcerer's potions till he returns. We then cut back to Earth, where once again, we have Thor fighting Absorbing Man. Now, one thing that's never been exactly clear with Absorbing Man stories is what makes him grow big. Like, you know, he can absorb various qualities from various things. And not grow big, but sometimes he absorbs things and he does grow big and grows to like sort of 50 feet high here.
1: His ball and chain grows as well. The implication seems to be that because he's absorbing the power of the buildings around him, he becomes as tall as a building. They're never really able to make that in some sort of cohesive thing. (laughs) It's always just sort of like, I don't know. Is it going to look cool in this panel for him to be 50 feet tall? Okay, then let's do that. Yeah.
0: I certainly as a kid, I always tried to figure out absorbing what things made him grow and what things didn't or anything like that. I never could figure it out. Meanwhile, we cut briefly to Jane, who is wishing Thor the best. And it turns out we just saw the shoulder of someone who was telling her to forget about Thor last issue. This time we see him and he looks exactly like the organizer from Daredevil. And he's got a hood (laughs) over his head uh, that makes him look like the organizer, but presumably is not the organizer is somebody else. If this was a little later in Marvel Comics continuity, we'd be like, oh, well, this is clearly a bit of cross-title continuity, but the titles aren't kept in as tight of continuity at this point. Then we cut back to the big fight between Absorbing Man and Thor. Thor sort of tricks Absorbing Man into becoming glass, but then he can't bring himself to shatter the Absorbing Man. He's like, no, that wouldn't be right to shatter my glass foe, because it would kill him. Well, later... There's plenty of later Absorbing Man stories in which people have no qualms about this at all, and they are more than happy to shatter the Absorbing Man. And indeed, he is essentially immortal and always manages to reassemble himself, so they don't have to feel bad about shattering him. But Thor I, can't bring himself I to remember. do it here.
1: I remember there was a thing in uh in the original Secret Wars where Wolverine actually sliced his arm off while he was metal or something like that, and he's like, uh, okay, um, what's gonna happen here? Maybe I'll just hold it where it's supposed to be and then turn back from being metal and let's hope it you know just sews itself on there correctly. And apparently it did, although with a lot of pain. Yeah, it, it's yeah. uh, it's once again, I love the Absorbing Man. His power set is. Really unclear.
0: Yeah, janky. Thor saves a little kid and gets distracted, and then he gets whopped in the head with a big ball and chain. And the Absorbing Man wins, and that is the ending cliffhanger. So it's we have a lot of cliffhangers this month. We've got a lot of books that only advance their plots just a little. And indeed, here we begin this book with Thor and Absorbing Man fighting, and we end it with Thor and Absorbing Man fighting. And Loki looking on the whole time. Not much changes at all in this book. But it's perfectly fine, and if it means we get to just look at 15 pages of sword Thor- men wailing on each other, that's just fine because Kirby knows how to draw the hell out of
1: that, and it's a fun book. I think my comment about both this fight and about the backup we're about to get to, the Tales of Asgard, is just that Jack Kirby is absolutely tearing it up with his powerful storytelling and art.
0: Yeah, let's go ahead and go to the back of the book. Maelstrom, a saga steeped in grandeur by Stanley Redder and Jack Kirby Illustrator, delineated by Vince We're continuing the very, very slowly developing story of Thor and Loki and a bunch of Vikings setting sail to figure out why there are cracks in the Odin sword. How long has this storyline been going at this point? Like seven issues like, or something?
1: Uh, at least five. Yeah, I don't know. It's been a while. <laughs> and they're and- just now uh, – they're just now actually de- – you know have just departed.
0: So they are sailing there on the Sea of Fear. They are trying to sail between the deadly deadly pillars of Utgard, but a big storm strikes the ship. So Kirby always likes to go crazy in these Tales of Asgard features. So he begins with a big splash page, and then he it up with another big splash page, which is an awesome page of oh, yeah. all of the people up in, were up in the rigging of the ship looking down on all the people who are going up and down the rigging, trying to keep the ship safe in a big storm with water crashing in from all directions. And it is a gorgeous page. If only it had a different anchor, but even with Glenda inking, it is pretty good. We then get several pages of the storm, rocking the ship, and we're trying to marshal everybody. And then Balder has a secret plan that involves a horn, and we don't know what it is, because it says, as the daring immortal turns, we see that it is Balder, Balder the brave, Balder the loyal, the bold. Desperately, he tracks a great horn to his precarious perch for a reason that none of us will know till next issue. Till we meet next month, may the gods smile upon thee as we do. Again, the storyline is developing slowly, but... One of the reasons for that is because Kirby devotes 40% of this story to splash pages. <laughs> and, uh, and it's I don't already a five-page story. <laughs> it's five-page story. I am not mind that at all. This is an awesome story, and yeah. he can take as much time as he wants developing this very slowly developing storyline.
1: Yes. Just a couple of comments here. One, on page three, the very first panel, Loki is trying to convince Thor to just turn around and give up. And Thor says, never, prince of evil. We pledged noble Odin to journey until we found the forces of evil, and we shall keep that pledge. It's like, okay, Thor, go back and listen to yourself again. You're looking for evil, and you're saying this to the prince of evil. Right. Anyway, in terms of just Absolutely epic art. In addition to that full splash page on the second page of the story, the bottom half of the page on page four with the whole line of sailors all in a line being ordered by Thor to go and start rowing. And then the top half of page five, where they are all now locking their oars into place and Thor is egging them on to row harder. Those are just, I mean, they're epic. <laughs> they yeah. just uh, The superlatives fail me.
0: And you can just feel the boat rocking back and forth in every panel of this comic. Yeah. The buffeting of the waves and uh, the water sloshing on the deck. And, you know, we are in a storm. It is wonderful to watch. Terrible Inc. by it, of course, the elbow of the guy on page five could not be worse.
1: Uh, you mean right in the foreground of the guy with the yeah. green helmet? The giant, <laughs> yes. Uh, 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 I mean, yeah, it's Coletta, uh, but in terms of Coletta stuff, it's not like you ruined somebody's eyes or erased a whole background or something like that. That doesn't jump out at me. Let me put it that way.
0: Coletta's uh, job is to say this is an elbow. That is his job. Yes. And he uh, he decides to use – is that a thousand lines maybe to convey <laughs> the idea that this is what? an elbow?
1: I mean, if you want me to get on Coletta's case for some stuff, believe me, we can go back to Fantastic Four and really go to town. But (laughs) that one doesn't bug me as much as it does you.
0: That was the first half of October 1965. That was a pretty great half of a month. Let's see if the back half of the month can stand up to it in our next episode.
1: Yeah, I Don't think it quite will, but I think it'll be a little bit better than it has in some recent months. But we will find out when we get there. So thanks a lot, everybody. We always really appreciate it. We will be back for the follow-up episode to this a week from now. Stay safe out there in the meantime. Okay, bye, everybody. Take care. Thanks for listening to Marvel Reread Club. Please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. The reviews and ratings are a great help and always appreciated. We love hearing from you. Go to MarvelRereadClub.com to find notes and join the discussion about this episode. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. See you next time.